And what a great future we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, what a blessing to be known as a disciple of Jesus Christ. He has so much blessing for you this year. I hope that you're leaning into him, that you're taking hold of the opportunity to be brand new, that you are putting him on in your everyday life, and that he is blessing you tremendously. Thanks for being here this morning. I want to say a special welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us. Truly an honor you're here with us, and we want uh, you to know we'd love to have you back. If you're looking for a church home, uh, we'd love for you, Cross Point to be that place for you and your family. Uh, we all have made a decision to surrender to Jesus Christ, to say, God, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Uh, and so we invite you into that story with us as well. As Kale said, numerous ways uh, to get involved in that story uh, right here in Grand Prairie, in the metro, or even all the way to Africa or Honduras. And I hope that you'll stick around. If you're interested in going to Africa this summer, uh, that you'll stick around right over here after service and get that information uh, handed down to you. It'll be a great opportunity for you to tell the story of Christ to folks who desperately need to know the hope that Jesus Christ is. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 this morning, and so I hope you've got your Bibles, and we'll turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. Uh, there's going to be something I want you to mark and circle, so I hope you do have your Bible with you. Uh, but all of our text will be on the screen, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. Uh, please bear with me today. I'm working through another sinus infection I got this weekend, and so I'm on a lot of meds, so I cannot be held liable for anything I might say today. <clears throat> yes, that's exciting. You know, we're in the middle of this series called Enough. And enough is the idea that God is enough for us, that Jesus Christ has done enough for us, and I've had enough of Satan telling me otherwise. I want to lean into everything that God has for me in life, for the blessing that he wants to bestow upon me, and I hope that you feel the same exact way. The Holy Spirit wants to work through your life this year and beyond to make you everything that you're called to be in Christ Jesus. But today we're going to take a look at the idea that there is time enough still to say I'm sorry in your life. Maybe there are folks in your life that you've not always got along with. Maybe in the family, maybe at the workplace, uh, maybe with your friend group, uh, maybe with God himself. And it's time that you said you're sorry. It's time that you dug into those relationships that we just mentioned and that you really become more of a friend, that you become more of a follower of God. And the first way to do that is to start by saying, I'm sorry. I want to do better. I want to do different. Uh, and so we're going to dig into a very familiar story this morning in just a moment uh, that you've heard many times, but hopefully we'll take some tools out of that story that you can put in your toolbox, take home with you, and begin to use in your everyday life. You know, saying I'm sorry is something that uh, folks have been working on for hundreds and hundreds of years. There are multiple ways to say I'm sorry. But I kind of got to thinking about this particular topic when I was getting ready, and I kind of went back to my high school years, and I was remembering in 1982, uh, the group Chicago came out with a song called It's Hard for Me to Say I'm Sorry. Anybody know that song? Yep, a few of us do. We are going to listen to only 18 seconds, okay, so bear with me. 18 seconds of a very 80s MTV video. Let's watch. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. I just want you to stay. After all the who we've been through. See, I heard some people over here singing. That was interesting. They won't sing the praise songs, but we'll... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, all of us do that driving down the road, singing to the radio, and yet kicks into gear. Now, you'll be thinking about that song the whole time we're talking this morning. 
But you know, you've had those moments in your life when you thought, man, I wish I hadn't have said that. I wish I could take that back. I wish I hadn't done that emotional thing with you that made us distant. I wish I could have been a better parent. I wish I could have been a better kid to my mom and dad. I wish I had been the friend that they had hoped I would have been. I wish I hadn't have broke your heart. I wish I had been better at making choices this weekend. There is time enough still today to say I'm sorry. And there are ways that you and I can do that in the course of saying I'm sorry. Well, let's take a look at our text this morning, Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. I want to stop there just a moment because Jesus is coming into Jericho. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus has already done an incredible amount of work. He's been up in Galilee preaching and teaching. He's been in Samaria teaching and doing miracles. He has been in Judea. And his life has changed the lives of so many different people. But he's close to the end of his own life. You see, because when he enters Jericho, he's only 18 miles from Jerusalem. And that's where he's headed. He's headed to the cross. He's done a tremendous amount of work, but he moves downward into Jericho. Jericho is about 18 miles from Jerusalem, and it's about 825 feet below sea level. Jerusalem, though, however, is located up in the mountains. It's about 2,500 feet above sea level. And so as Jesus enters Jericho and he begins that journey down that 18-mile road to Jerusalem, It's an uphill climb for him, but one that he's willing to do for you and for me. His desire is to have a relationship with us, and he knows that's the only thing that's going to make that happen. Let's continue to read. Verse 2, there was a man named there named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so He ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree along beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, we need to address just for a moment who Zacchaeus actually was. He lives in Jericho, but I'll guarantee you this. He has no friends other than the ones that he's bought, friends that want to hang out with him because he throws the parties. He is a Jew, but see, he works for the Roman government collecting taxes. And the way this works to become a chief tax collector is you put a bid in with the Roman government. They may say, from this particular territory or area, we need so much tax money. And Zacchaeus has said, I can make that happen. And so they hire Zacchaeus to do just that. Now, they don't regulate him very well. They let him do what he needs to do to get that money. And so there's no, no limit to what he can earn. Anything over and above what the Romans want is his to keep. It's a, a, a trade area. And so the road that goes through Jericho, there's lots of merchants up and down that road. And all of them are taxes as they come into the city, as they leave the city. Any of the agricultural product that's brought into the city from the surrounding region is taxed. There's even property tax. Make no mistake, Zacchaeus is extremely wealthy. He's got a lot of money, and he's got a lot of people that work for him. He's got the normal everyday tax collector as a subordinate underneath him, and he runs those guys as well and gets a piece of what they take. Zacchaeus is a guy who has distanced himself from the family of God. As a matter of fact, if you read through all the the gospel accounts, You've got folks who are of 
the line of Abraham, folks who would consider themselves pious Jews, religious by every account. But then you've got folks who've wandered from the fold a little bit, and they're sinners. But almost every single time, you see the sinners, those folks who don't have any hope, and then underneath them are the tax collectors. They've got their own bracket. There is something special in the way of sinners. You you can't touch them. He's forfeited all the rights he has to go to worship. Zacchaeus could go to worship. He's not clean. He couldn't go to the synagogue. He couldn't go to church. He couldn't be with the family of God. He was alone in the world. He had made that decision. But he was a guy that wanted to see Jesus. Somehow or another, he had heard about this miracle worker, this guy that calls himself the Messiah. He's coming to my town. But I'm short enough, I I can't get to the the pathway where he's going to cross, and so I'm going to find a tree, and I'm going to climb that tree so I can get a bird's eye view of exactly who this guy is, this miracle worker, this guy who takes scripture and talks about it authoritatively. He puts the Pharisees back in their place, the same guys who think that I'm not good enough. I want to see who this guy is. He's pretty special. Now let's continue reading verses 5 through 7. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. This is a moment where Zacchaeus would not have any idea that Jesus would even acknowledge him. I mean, he's unclean. He's not somebody that's part of the regular population. And yet Jesus stops underneath that tree and addresses him, brings him into the conversation. He says, let's do lunch at your place. Let's see where this story unfolds, where it might go. And the folks are not happy. That this holy rabbi, this person of God is now going to pass through the threshold of this person they consider below sinners. Verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, and the Lord here is him telling God in an oath, and said, I will give half of my wealth To the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, he didn't say the exact words in verse 8, but Zacchaeus just said, I'm sorry. He told God, I haven't lived like you've called me to live, and I want to do different. I want to be better. And for you folks who are gathered around here as me and this Messiah have a conversation, I want you to know that I'm sorry for the person that I've become. And Jesus moves on to respond, and he says in verse 9, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Jesus reinstates him into the family of God. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Now, verse 10 is that verse that I want you to circle, put an asterisk by, because it's important as followers of Christ, we understand what Jesus was about. Jesus did not come to this place to hang out with pious and folks who thought they were so righteous and had done everything right. No, he came to hang out with those who felt unworthy, who were at the low end of the ladder, if you will. 
He came out to hang with those who were hopeless in this world and were called to imitate Jesus in multiple ways. He says salvation has come to this house today. And the only reason why Jesus can say that is because Jesus is salvation. He is the only way that you and I have to get to God the Father. It is through him that all things will come to pass in your life that are positive and blessed. And on this particular day, everything changes for Zacchaeus. It is like the light bulb has been turned on. He's back out of the dark. He's in the good graces of God. Zacchaeus, in the moment, relinquishes his grasp on his idol, and that is money. You see, Jesus, in verse 10, says he came to seek and to save. And today, his desire is to go to your house and to my house. No matter where we find ourselves in the story of life, it's never too late to say, I'm sorry. It's never too late to invite Jesus over for that meal. I mean, has there been someone in your life that that you might say, man, they are never going to change. They'll never be any different. Every time I interact with them, it's the same old, same old. They always want something. It's a negative predictability. And Jesus says, it's never too late. Everyone can change, can be different. It can be found whole in the family of God if that is your desire. See, there are two or three things I want to give you this morning to put in your toolbox that I think we can gain from this story. Things that will change the way maybe we look at our relationships with one another and our relationship with God the Father. You see, at the end of the day, we start with saying I'm sorry demands honesty. You and I have to be honest about what we have done wrong in the world to one another and and even as we live our life out for God the Father. I mean, you can't really mean it, right? Unless you're honest about what you've been, where you've been, and what you may may have done. There's a story in the New Testament where the disciples are fishing all night long. They've caught absolutely nothing. And Jesus says, put your nets on the other side of the boat. And when they do, the text says that the net fills up with fish. So many, they had to call in other boats to help pull in the net. And in the moment... Peter realizes who he is in the presence of. Our text says that he falls on his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man, unworthy to be in your presence. You and I, as we approach Jesus, we discover how unworthy we are. And yet, he starts a conversation with us. And yet, he invites himself over for dinner. And yet he embraces us and pulls us in close and reinstates us into the family of God. You know, Zach feels maybe embarrassed that such a perfect man would would want to spend some time with him. I mean, Zach says that he's sorry for the life that he's lived. But he's got to admit that he's done something and he does. Sometimes in our own life, we can be more embarrassed that other people know our shortcomings and our mistakes than we can be embarrassed that we have not lived a life that gives God glory. We can be more worried about what people are thinking about us and around us rather than realizing that we've come up short 
and that we need Jesus Christ in our life. You know, in, in any given story, you've been to the movies before, you love it when the villain gets it at the end, right? I mean, we all rejoice in that. It's exciting. And we see this bad guy, this person all through the moment, and then at the end, the punchline, and he gets what's coming to him. Reminds me of a story of a soldier who had gone to Iraq to fight. He had a girlfriend back home, and she became involved with someone else and made a decision she wanted to leave the relationship. She writes that Dear John letter to him. He's crushed. And in the letter, she says, Listen, I want you to send me uh, the pictures that I, I sent over there with you. I want those back, if you don't mind. He's He's crushed. He tells his buddies in the barracks what's going on, and so they all come up with this plan. We're, we have lots of pictures of our own girlfriends, our own wives, and so we'll each give you one picture. Package them all up with a letter, sends it back to her. She gets the package, opens the letter, and he says, if you wouldn't mind, pick out the picture that's yours because I really don't remember what you look like and send the rest back to me. <laughs> See? We love it when somebody gets what's coming to them. It's exciting. And sometimes, in our own life, we fail to see that we need to say, I'm sorry, because we want to see what happens. But you and I have got to be honest about what's going on in our life. But saying, I'm sorry, also requires accountability on our part. We have to make ourselves vulnerable in the moment of confession. Zach says he's going to give back the money. And in our life, you know, if we had done something like that, I think it would probably be tough for each one of us to give back the money. Maybe we could start making some installment payments or something. But Zach says in the text, I'm going to give back four times to anyone that I've cheated in their taxes, and I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor in Jericho. It's a good day to be on Skid Row in Jericho going to get some little windfall, a little fallout here. Every statement that he makes invites accountability in his story. You see, Zach knew this was really more than about money. It was really about having a life of peace, about living with those around you that you've hurt, saying, I'm sorry, living that sorry out and telling God, I want to be a different and better person. And when we're honest about it, when we want to be truly repentant in that moment, we don't mind creating those hedges of accountability around us to hold our feet to the fire with what we are going to do about what we said. You see, the prelude to forgiveness is always repentance. You and I have to have a desire in our heart to change, to turn things around. And sometimes, though, we confuse confession with repentance, don't we? Confession is the words. Repentance is the heart. How many of us on any given day have said, I'm sorry, but not really meant it? We've said the words, but there's no actions to back up what we have said. Repentance literally means a 180 degree turn. I'm going to be different, and I want you to hold me accountable in that life. <clears throat> Sometimes we make excuses about the things that we've done along the way. Reminds me of a story of a two-year-old in the kitchen. It's before dinner, but she wants a cookie. Mom's got the cookie jar on the counter, and she's looking at the cookie jar, and she says, I want a cookie. No, you can't have it until after it's dessert, after dinner. 
but I want it now. She goes over to the cookie jar and begins to take the lid off. And mom says, no. I said, no, this is after dinner. And mom takes the cookie jar, puts it up on top of the refrigerator, goes into the next room to do some work. Now, kids at two years old don't realize that sound can travel. And she hears some commotion in the kitchen. She goes back in. And this two-year-old has built an elaborate ladder out of stools and chairs and is standing on the countertop with the hand in the cookie jar. I thought I told you not to get a cookie. I was getting a cookie for you. <laughs> well, I don't want a cookie. Then can I have it? No. Sometimes we make stuff up along the way. When we get caught in the moment, we try to say I'm sorry, but we don't have the actions that really back that up. It is unsettling when you don't have a great relationship with your earthly dad. It's even more so with your heavenly father. Look what Paul says to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. Paul says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. For those of us that just have the lip service, Paul says, it's not going to be a good deal. You've got to have the actions that match up with the words. So how are you and I going to do that? And we say some semblance of this almost every single Sunday. But saying I'm sorry is going to involve Jesus. You and I have to have Jesus in our life in order for things to be exactly what they should be. You can't do this on your own. We need Jesus in our life. Jesus, in our story, initiated that meeting with Zacchaeus, if you remember. Zacchaeus wasn't saying anything. He's in the treetop. He's looking down at the pathway. Jesus walks by, and Jesus stops and begins to talk with Zacchaeus. Jesus, in our lives, metaphorically, is always standing and knocking at our door. He stands there ready to have that discussion, to talk. The thing in our life is that we have to let him in. We've got to be willing to have that conversation. We've got to be willing to go to dinner with Jesus and talk about some hard things and not worry about the muttering that's going on in the crowd. Oh, he went to the house of a sinner. We've got to make sure And we're not listening to the world's comments, but that we are focused on the conversation with Jesus. He wants the very best for us in our life. You know, the Jews looked at tax collectors as traitors. But Jesus looked at Zach and called him a son of Abraham. He invited him back into the family. A person that was lost, but now is found. And here's how we know that it's never too late to say, I'm sorry. Jesus never stops calling people out of their hiding places. He is constantly looking for you. He wants to go to your house to have dinner. He wants to hang out at the coffee shop with you, metaphorically speaking. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to get involved in what you are doing so that you'll get involved in what he is doing in the world. You and I may have some damaged relationships in our own life because of poor choices that we've made along the way, but the longer you sweep it under the rug, the longer it's going to take you to crawl out of that tree and get into a relationship with God. 
Life will continue to be strained when there are no apologies given to those family members that you've heard along the way, to that friend group that you're a part of, to those coworkers that you work with, to God for not living how he's called you to live. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, it is a, a big moment for you to move forward in those relationships And whether it's received or reciprocated, it really doesn't matter one way or another because you will have peace when you make a decision to say, I'm sorry, especially when you're talking to God about the person you're called to be and want to be. I mean, who in your own life needs to hear that grouping of words from you? I'm sorry. Who in your life needs to to feel that you are making an effort to be better, to make things better? I mean, is there a relationship that you have that if, if some pride was swallowed, if humility was exampled, that that relationship would grow tighter and closer than maybe it's ever been before? I mean, is there someone at your workplace or in your family, at your church, who you believe will never say, I'm sorry. Maybe they hurt you. But what would happen if you initiated the conversation like Jesus? What if you extended the olive branch to say, I would love for this relationship to heal and be different? Things will change. And that change will occur because someone knows in all honesty I'm praying for this relationship. I want this relationship to be right. Who believes in them? But you and I, so many times, we live life in the if-onlys. If only I treated my spouse a little bit better. If only I hadn't said those words. If only I hadn't been so hurtful. If only I had withheld that action this weekend. If only, if only, if only. And the if-onlys of life end up killing life, joy, and peace. We may not can wipe away the past, but we can move forward into the future. A great example of this is found in Acts chapter 9. It's a story of Saul's conversion. Now, Saul is a committed Jew. He is an incredible man of God in his own right. He's been given the authority to arrest Christians wherever they might be, to throw them into prison, to stand at their execution. He's got those papers in his hand. He's on his way to Damascus and he is going to clean house when it comes to the church. But he didn't reckon that he would have an encounter with Jesus Christ on that road, which left him blind and convicted. He says, I want you to go to Damascus, Saul, now Paul, and I want you to get involved with the church up there because I've got some work for you to do. God also talks to one of the church leaders there in Damascus by the name of Ananias. He says, there's a guy coming from Jerusalem. His name is Saul. And I want you to work with him, introduce him to the church. And Ananias says, oh, hang on just a minute. This guy, I don't know if you've heard God, but uh, this guy is throwing us in prison. He's standing and making sure that we pay the full price, sometimes with our life. I don't think you understand who this person is. And God says, no, he's already repentant. He's already sorry. And reluctantly, when Saul arrives, Ananias takes him into his house, he lays hands on him, cures his blindness, and he begins work with the local church there. 
You see, what made Paul's sorry legitimate was that his actions changed. And in our own lives, we have to do the same exact thing. When we want reconciliation, when we want to be right with someone or with God, our sorry has to match our actions. The Bible says, today there's enough time to say I'm sorry. Jesus doesn't erase the past, but he can redeem the future. And for you in your life, maybe that's where you find yourself in a relationship right now. You find it's very difficult, but we are called to forgive whether that's reciprocated or not. It's been done for us on the cross. Jesus Christ did that for each and every one of us in our life. And so the call this morning is for us to think about what relationships need repair in your life because there's enough time today. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, but today there's enough time to make that phone call, to send that text, to set up that meeting, to sit down at a table in prayer to God and say, God, I want to be better. I want to be different. I want to be right. I want our relationship to be solid. There's enough time today to say I'm sorry. Jesus can redeem your future. And in fact, he already has. He's simply waiting and knocking at your door, ready to give it to you. Are you going to open the door? In our story, Zacchaeus did open the door. For us today, we are in a moment of decision. And so I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team to the stage at this time. And our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And as we sing this song, maybe there's some of you in here who are ready to make a decision to be different in life. But you want to have some courage, some blessing. I encourage you to go to one of our shepherds, let them pray over you and for you to have the courage you need to make that relationship right. Whether we're talking about the relationship with someone that you come in contact with or with God. Or maybe today is the day you say, you know, I've never publicly said Jesus Christ is my Lord and today is the day that that is going to happen because I want things to be different. I want to get all the blessing that God has for me in my life and that's only going to happen if I connect with my Lord and Savior. And I want to do that today. The water's ready. Baptism is the next step for you. We're ready to do that. My hope is this morning that you will lean into Jesus Christ who wants to redeem your future for you. Let's stand and sing together.